Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, welcome to the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. I'm your host, DJ Alojo, and if this mission resonates with you, please do us a favor, like, subscribe, and tell a friend that we are here to help. I am fired up today because <laughs> I have my home girl, uh, one of my favorite attorneys in the whole wide world. Um, I love getting a chance to see her at conferences because she is um, full of knowledge and experience, but she also is just so down to earth. And so I'm happy to have on the podcast today, Erin Quinn. Erin, welcome to the Foreclosure Fix family. How you doing? Thanks, that's quite the un- the entry. I love that. So you're so sweet. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, it's definitely true. You are always a ball of energy um, and you always have the best stories. So I know our audience is, is, is in for a ride today to um, <laughs> on today's podcast. Um, so Aaron is an attorney. Uh, and before we go any further, right, I, I know she's going to give you a disclaimer, but let me give you a disclaimer. Aaron is an attorney, but she is not your attorney. So if you have a legal question um, or you are listening to what she's saying, it, it cannot be construed as legal advice. All right. She is here just giving information. And we always tell people, if you have a foreclosure situation and you want an expert opinion, please talk to an attorney who can understand all the specifics of your situation. It's so important. Context matters. With that being said, Aaron Quinn um, is an attorney licensed in Florida, Georgia, and I think the District of Columbia. She graduated from the University of South Florida and then also attended uh, Stetson University College of Law, where she received her Juris Doctorate. So she is an experienced professional who does this type of work. And so, Aaron, let our listeners know how you and your firm, Quinn Legal, interact with borrowers in foreclosure. So I've worked in the industry for about 21 years, and I've been through many firms. Um, all And my, my experience is generally on the creditor side. However, one of the things that I noticed in working in more like larger law firms before coming out of my own um, was that we were having trouble, and, and this probably resonates with a lot of borrowers, they were having trouble getting through to the counsel that they that was that were prosecuting their cases and you know trying to get things worked out and you know I really saw this need to kind of in my in my space as a creditor's rights attorney to do some good for people that you know want to save their homes and are willing to be reasonable and you know spend the time talking to me so um, I started really focusing my craft on loss mitigation and you know essentially being a better communicator for um, my clients, the banks, because, you know, ultimately the banks wanted to work out these loans and the homeowners wanted to work out these loans, but there was a disconnect in them talking. So I try to bridge that gap as much as I can. Obviously I do prosecute the action. So giving borrowers legal advice is um, a conflict for me. So, you know, I'm not able to do that, but as far as, um, you know, giving them advice on or walking in through the loss mitigation process really, and just kind of explaining it to them and, having it be very clear and just, you know, kind of mucking down or like, you know, summarizing that paperwork, it was a lot less overwhelming for them. And they were able to, you know, to get into some options. So that's kind of how I came into the industry and started, you know, on the creditor side, being a better advocate for the banks in helping them resolve these foreclosures before the auctions. So that's kind of, and then, you know, starting my firm was really just an extension of that. You know, once I realized that I had this desire and I just, I didn't feel like a large firm was the place for me anymore. So um, I had a client that really loved me and was willing to come out and, you know, let me go on my own. So that's what I did. And so now I do it on my own with my, my team. And we, you know, we try to do what we can to, to make sure that the communication stays flowing through the whole action and from the beginning to the end. That's phenomenal, right? And so help our listeners understand what loss mitigation means, right? You said that word, and I know some people don't even know what that is. So help our listeners understand what loss mitigation is. Absolutely. So loss mitigation is essentially anything that mitigates the loss of the bank and the borrower. So um, the goal is essentially to come to a resolution either through um, reinstatement, which is bringing your loan current, payoff, paying it off completely, you know, whether that be in a sale or a refinance or whatever the case may be, um, loan modifications, deeds in lieu of foreclosure, short sales. So anything that resolves the issue with the bank before an auction occurs is what loss mitigation is going to be. 
Awesome. Awesome. So sometimes there's a lot of confusion from homeowners when they are in foreclosure about who they should be talking to, what's going on. And I think your firm and your experience alluded to the issues they have is that they want a resolution. They want something to happen. They want to save their house. But in their conversation with the servicer, the bank, and in rare instances, the actual, um, owner of the note or, or deed of trust or a mortgage, they are lost, right? And so help us understand the role of a firm like yours versus the other parties in the mix. So the other parties being like defense counsel and... De- defense counsel, the servicer, the actual investor, Absolutely. right? Okay. Help us help us understand where you fit in, right? Okay. Or where you, where your firm fits in. But then more importantly than that, when a when a homeowner is trying to get through the process, what can people in your shoes do for them? So, okay. So, you've got a couple parties to a case and a lot of times you'll hear things like, "I don't even know who Deutsche Bank is," or "I've never talked to US Bank. I've only talked to, you know, Shellpoint or I've only talked to you know, Chase or whatever the big servicer name is or the, the servicer name is. So you really have like above your loan when you're paying your home every single month, when your mortgage is current um, and afterwards too, but in general, your status quo is going to be um, essentially the person that you communicate with um, every time you pay your mortgage payment. If you have to call your mortgage company, et cetera, is going to be your servicer. They yeah. are servicing the loan. They are taking it and making sure all the paperwork's done, making sure your payments get applied, making sure your escrow is good, making sure that basically everything surrounding that loan is taken care of and that you have a place to communicate with um, that can help you. And the reason that servicing companies exist is because you know not everybody wants to be a servicing company. Not everybody wants to spend that time in that in that role. So you yeah. have above them, you have like kind of the owners of the loan, right? So the owners of the loan are going to be the people that are just basically owed the money, and they may service it themselves and handle it everything on their own, or they may employ one of these servicing companies that they pay a monthly fee that does not like get charged to the borrower. Um, that basically takes care of that communication piece for them, make sure they comply with federal law, make sure they comply with the state laws for the states that they're licensed in, stuff like that. So you've got owner, servicer, and then, you know, obviously you've got defense counsel on the other side. <clears throat> Their role can be very different in the case depending, and they usually do not show up until after the case is already filed, um, which, you know, a lot of my focus today Um, Although I do want to walk people through the foreclosure process, I also want to, you know, impress up the importance of really um, reaching out and and communicating early to avoid, you know, further incurring of fees and costs on both sides of the equation. So those are kind of like the major players and people that I deal with on a regular basis. Um, And then obviously judges and clerks and stuff like that. So absolutely. So I'm a homeowner in foreclosure. I get a piece of paper from Quinn legal on it. And it says, you owe a hundred thousand dollars for this house. You need to pay us $10,000 within 30 days to reinstate your loan. Right. What do I do? So you don't ignore it because I will, I speak from experience when I say that when you ignore that correspondence and you don't resolve it, it is not going to go away and it is only going to become more expensive. And I say that to the vast majority. There's always those like, you know, cases that are off the rails that, you know, something bad happened and the bank didn't get it right, you know, and a good attorney will recognize that and try to correct it. And so um, I would say that's going to be my biggest, you know, my biggest important piece there is don't ignore the letter, call the law firm. You know, what you want to do at that point in time, you know, generally speaking, is determine what your options are based on your specific facts that are occurring, right? So, and you're not, you might not be able to to figure that out on your own. And if you don't, you know, then it's, you're always welcome to, to talk to an attorney and, and obtain counsel to, you know, to walk you through that and, and explain everything to you. Um, but in general, that's kind of the, you know, the goal. So it's to get people to call the office and see if we can resolve it. So a lot of times what I get from my creditor clients is 
you know, I've sent them 15 letters, they're not responding to me, you know, they're just ignoring the problem. Can you please maybe if it's on your letterhead with your, you know, bar license on there, then maybe they'll actually listen, you know. So I think that sometimes borrowers tend to be like, ignoring when it's just the mortgage company, and it's not time to get serious until an attorney steps in. So we do see some um, fallout at that point in time where we send the demand and they do resolve it. And that's awesome. And it gets handled and they, you know, they take it seriously. And then we close our file and then they just don't hear from us anymore. And then you've got, you know, the other vast majority that will then not reach out. And it, it could be for many reasons. I'm not like, I want to, you know, say that anything that I say, you know, during this, I'm not um, judging anybody's situation. I know personally, you know, that there's a lot of situations that, um, you know, can give you ups and downs in life. And, you know, we're not always perfect all the time. Right. So no, no judgment on that. So I just want to say that, but yeah, we have the vast majority of people just ignore the notices and they wait until we file suit. And at that point, you know, depending on the state they're in they're they're either have a complaint filed against them and the process service coming to their door, or I'm auctioning their property in the courthouse steps, you know, with sending them a piece of mail in a non-judicial state. So I think that's really the biggest piece there is just making sure that you, if I'm a, if I'm a homeowner in foreclosure, my first step is <clears throat> what, you know, what is my ability to, to repay? Like, am I able to do anything as a down payment? Am I able to <clears throat> offer, you know, chunks of funds? Am I not? Um, whatever that fact is, you take that to the bank and just communicate. Like communication is key. And that's in life, right? Like communication is key in every relationship, in any business, in any situation, in every relationship. Um, you know, com the, that communication is absolutely vital. And the second that communication shuts down on the borrower side, you know, because the phone calls get annoying, or they just can't deal with it because they're stressed or whatever, that's really when we see the problems start to come in. Very good explanation there. One of the things that Lengthy, I right? Hear, you knew that I like to talk, so the hey, <laughs> look, look, you're you're on the podcast for a reason, right? I only want I only want the best talkers, right? Um, <laughs> True. Uh, you litigate too, so I just talk like, like <laughs> a little bit, little bit. Uh, so no, one of the common misconceptions I hear from people who I've either worked with or comments that we get or whatever else may be the case is that the bank is out to get me or they just don't like me. That's why they're doing this. Help people understand your firm's perspective or people in your shoes firm's perspective. Like when you're doing, going through your daily task list, when your team is doing what they do, like what's the perspective for you all? Is it just a job? Is there, you know, like help, help people understand that. So I think that, you know, the answer is, there's, there's plenty of everything, right? My office specifically, maybe not, we're a smaller office. We, you know, everybody works underneath me. We communicate constantly. We try to work with borrowers when we can um, that, that our clients ha like have cases with to make sure that we're, you know, keeping settlement negotiations moving and trying to resolve the issues. Um, and then you've got people that it's just a job too, right? Um, so I can't say, you know, over here, like, oh, every bank attorney and every bank's, you know, counsel and, and legal assistants are, you know, and servicing companies are angels. They're not, you know, things happen. And what I think that people, the thing I think, or the disparity I think that we see is that, you know, when you're, when you're, when you go to a bank and you ask for money, you want that money, you want to buy your house, you want to have it. And the bank is giving you the opportunity to do that. Right. And they're doing that at a risk and they're doing it at an interest rate to make money. And when you get to the, and at that point in time, when all the payments are going and everything's fine, like you're a number on a spreadsheet. Like as long as your loan's performing, you're not going to hear from them. They're not going to hear from you. They'll communicate with you via letter or call or whatever, if they need something. Otherwise, you know, it's fine. And a lot of times what I see is like people ignore their mortgage company for so long. And then the mortgage company finally yeah. does something about it. And it becomes super freaking expensive, whatever it is, whether it be insurance or paying the taxes or whatever. And then they're like, crap, I didn't know that that was going to happen. And so, you know, I think that um, for me, I see a few things. So I see like that happens in the beginning, right? Then the foreclosures start to happen. And you have a smaller group of people in the bank that are now focused on this asset is a potential loss to us. This house is a potential loss. 
you know, can we get this borrower to the table? Can we figure out what their circumstances are? And can we work something out, right? So the, the federal government came down, um, before the crash in like 2008, modifications were very rare. Uh, it just didn't happen. So that entire crash was a very unprecedented situation for all of us. And all of us in the on the bank side and on the creditor side had to deal with a lot of like implementation of policies and procedures because they were just getting inundated with people that wanted to fix their stuff. And they didn't have the teams in place and the training and the knowledge and the, and the programs to deal with it. So you know, the, the federal government kind of stepped in and made those and, and gave them the guidelines of what they had to do. And so then the banks started doing that. And now all of them have pretty big, you know, robust loss mitigation departments that, that just focus and specialize in trying to work things out. And, you know, some of that is consumer protection related. So the federal government kind of stepped in to protect the consumers from the old banking practices. And now we're in a new banking world. So what happened from that crash is that, um, Banks stopped lending money on stated income, so they started requiring documentation. Um, they started having more scrutiny on second houses and investment properties on people's. You know, there was there were are no like no doc loans pretty much anymore. The underwriting standards got really stringent, and they started really requiring more documentation to prove that people really could, you know, work through and and own these properties. And I think that you know for a period of time. It, you know, for a lot of people in the industry, it was a money grab on both sides. Like people wanted houses because the markets were hot and the banks wanted and the mortgage brokers wanted the money. So they sold everything that they could. So it's it's just how life works. And so I think that um, for me on, you know, on the bank side, we're seeing just a lot of um, people say like, oh, you know, they don't care that we're just a number. We're just this, we're just that. But ultimately speaking with the, especially with uh, the big servicers and the federally regulated banks, they are like, there's mandatory disclosures, manda mandatory notices that have to go out. Like they can't even foreclose now for four months. Like they have to wait until you're four payments behind to even refer the loan to foreclosure. So they, ha they have multiple opportunities prior to it ending up in our office to handle the situation. So once it's in our hands, if I get a borrower that calls in, my goal at that point is to say, okay, this person is coming to the table. They want to work it out. Let me see what the options are for them. Like what did they need or what is their desired goal? And can we get to that goal, right? That's it. Like it's very simple. What does borrower want? Can bank agree to it? Or can they meet somewhere in the middle? So our goal at that point, like when we have somebody call us is okay, let's get them to the bank either if they want the if the bank wants them to call their loss mitigation department, we'll do that. Um, if they want us to handle it, then we'll send an application to the borrower and say, you know, just submit this to us and we'll send it. If they do it through counsel, same thing, like we'll send it. So our role at that point, aside from pursuing the litigation, um, is if somebody does step in, we stop the foreclosure once they've had a completed loss mitigation package, because that's a requirement of the law. Um, and we work on that application until it is decisioned. So there's many steps around that now that protect consumers from bad banking practices of missing documents and all this stuff. Not that nobody's ever going to not have a document because electronic world, it happens. But ultimately speaking, a lot of the complaints and the things that happened in the 08 crash have been, you know, at least mediated and, you know, mitigated. And they're trying to, to really make sure that, Anytime we go through a real estate crash, which the market is cyclical and is always going to happen at some point, um, that they have the proper channels in place to deal with resolving these issues outside of court because it's always more expensive to foreclose than it is to do loss mitigation. And so the banks, their incentives are really if the money is there for the borrower to work it out is to work it out with them. Got you. And so who pays for you? The banks. So first, so it, when the when the actions filed, so. Your mortgage contract and your notes, generally speaking, again, um, will have a clause in the document that says, <clears throat> if you default and you don't pay your mortgage and we have to hire an attorney, you're going to be on the hook for fees. We're going to pay them during the case, but when we win or if we win, then we're go then you're going to be on the hook for them and they're going to be rolled into your loan. So ultimately what happens is, is although the banks pay the fees through the foreclosure and they, you know, pay our office, they expect us to recover those fees on the back end for anything that is part of the, the foreclosure action. So we're expected to obtain a judgment um, for not only the amount that the person owes, but the interest that they owe, 
um, any inspections, any uh, taxes and insurance they haven't paid. And, they'll, and uh, with a modification specifically, including the attorney fees, they'll roll all that into a lump sum and that becomes the new principal balance. So a lot of times you'll see these loans that start out as like 50 or 60 or $70,000 loans that end up being modified at 120, 130, depending on how far it gets in the foreclosure, how much interest has accrued, how many years it's been in default and you know some other factors. So it's really... Um, it is it is for cases where the borrower has not made a payment and there is a reason to foreclose on them if a judgment is entered against them they will be required to pay our fees period yeah, sure. it's Makes very sense. very like there's very 1% exceptions to that so um it is always in everybody's best interest to, to resolve it earlier on in the case as we can. And if so that's why if we can get it before filing suit, the fees are much lower and it's much easier for us to, to resolve things in a way that's, that's um, acceptable to the borrower too, because they don't want to pay all those fees either. No, so. I totally understand. So I'm a homeowner. I'm scared, Aaron. I, I get the letter. I, I'm I'm shaking in my boots. Like I got financial pressures on me. I'm just, you know, I'm pissed off. I'm mad at the world. And, you know, I, I don't want to deal with this. I don't, I, my life is not where I, I planned it to be at this very moment. Right. Mm-hmm. What can you do to help me? Like, what does a successful workout look like? What help me kind of help us understand that. So I get the letter, I call your office and like, you know, I have no money. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, what does a su- successful workout look like in that scenario? So I think what um, what we try to do, or so I'll kind of walk you through the questions that I ask when a, when a borrower calls. You know, obviously, first thing, I have to tell them that, I, you know, I may be deemed a debt collector, you know, under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So anything they say can be used, you know, against them. I, it doesn't happen all that often, especially in settlement negotiations, like you're not allowed to like bring it into court or whatever. Um, but if you lie to me about something, then I can certainly bring that up. So um, what I try to do is say, okay, you know, what's, what do you want to do with it? Like, what's your plan? Like, what do you want? Do you want to keep the house? Do you feel like you can't afford it and you want out? Like the end goal for both companies, so the end goal for the bank is always about the money. And I I don't mean that in a crappy way. I mean that in a, they don't want your house way. Okay. Like they would much rather work it out, whether that be through, you know, you selling it and paying them either a short payoff or a payoff or, you know, modifying the loan. They'd much rather have the paper and the money than they would ever want a property. They're not, they're not property owners. They're, they just don't like to do it. So, and it's never, again, it's never a good scenario for them because they lose money when they foreclose. So it's always, uh, you know, in their best interest to do it. So on the borrower side, um, it's, you know, what are your circumstances? Like, tell me what's happening. Tell me, um, you know, what you have, like, and you, what I'll do is I'll say, you know, our clients will usually require a down payment. So tell me what you have, even if it's 500 bucks, like, just tell me what it is, whatever it is. And I will bring it back to them. I have no dog in the fight. I can't make the settlement decision it ultimately belongs to my client and the borrower to make those decisions, not their attorneys. So every settlement offer that we get under the bar rules for both my side of the, the, the fence, the creditor side and um, the borrower side, both attorneys have an obligation to remit settlement offers to the other side. So if your attorney is not remitting settlement offers or the bank's attorney is not communicating settlement offers to their client, it's actually a violation of the bar rules and it's against our ethical responsibilities. Um, So number one, be heard. You can be heard. You have to be heard by an attorney. Um, Whether that's your attorney. Well, I say that in like, if an attorney talks to you, they have to hear you and they have to communicate that settlement offer to their client. So what I do is I say, okay, you know, how much money is it? Are you wanting to keep it? You want to get rid of it. Okay. So you want to get rid of it. All right. Your options to get rid of it are um, short sale because the property is underwater or total payoff because you have equity in your property or um, there's no liens underneath. You only have one mortgage and you can't afford the house anymore. You want to deed it back to the bank. Okay. Deed in lieu is an option. Deed in lieu of foreclosure. So those three are the main liquidation. And by liquidation, I mean the house gets reverted to the bank or sold at auction. Um, Those are kind of your three main categories, right? So those are going to be for people that are just 
done. They just don't want to fight it anymore. Or they just realize that they aren't financially stable or, you know, somebody passes away and they can't afford it or somebody passes away and the house is empty or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. there's a a million scenarios for why that could happen. But at some point, if they don't want the house, then we'll do the best we can to get them into something that allows them to give it back if possible without proceeding through an auction. The other option is a consent to final judgment, which is essentially I am leaving. I'm not fighting the case. I'm going to go through and wait until the auction and then I'm going to move out. Right. So maybe we give them an extended sale date because they just took six months off our case because they're not fighting us. So we'll give them, you know, three months of a sale date as a as a good faith or, you know, whatever the case may be there. So the other option they really have, and obviously it's not on the loss mitigation side, is reaching out to a defense counsel. And there's, you know, a lot of defense counsel in Florida will um, use their or they'll say, okay, I'm you're gonna pay me. 500 bucks a month, it's less than your rent payment, and I'll keep you in the house for two or three years, right? Which technically, anybody that delays a litigation, whether that be plaintiff or defendant side, if the litigation is delayed because of the attorney, that's also an ethical violation. So having an attorney tell you that they're going to delay your case, you know, in like with BS arguments or without arguments basically is running up your fees every month. You're paying $500 a month for that, but you're also running up the bank's fees as they defend against the the claims that the attorney's making. And those fees, again, end up in the final judgment if you don't ultimately resolve it. But they will also end up in settlement negotiations. So I had a case a couple days ago that I thought should settle. I felt like we had a good case. I wanted to, you know, the guy was a, you know, a firefighter and I wanted to try to help. And, you know, he couldn't get past the fact that prior to the case, he had been offered a $13,000 settlement offer on this $50,000 loan. And post case filing, once we filed suit, and he retained an attorney and fought us for months and months, and we ran up $30,000 in fees, that settlement offer is obviously now not $13,000. So now it's more in the 80 or 90 or $100,000 range, because the bank took it at first and just quashed it down even below like the principal balance just to try to settle it. Right. And when that didn't happen, they, well, we have no choice. We have to foreclose. And if they're going to make us go through this, then, you know, we're going to like need more money because now we're out of pocket $30,000 or 15 or 10 or five or whatever that amount is. Right. That pre-suit settlement negotiation or that pre-suit offer is never going to be the same. And people get hung up on that. So it's good to know, like, you know, what you're dealing with when you talk about delaying a case and buying yourself more time and what that what those consequences are, um, which are usually running up a fees. Um, And then the other thing that we do on the modification side. So, you know, those are your liquidation options on the um, on the keeping your house on the retention side. It's going to be. reinstatements, which is basically you pay back every penny that you are behind. You come into some money, you're able to borrow some, you like get a settlement or you just work for it, whatever the case may be that happens, right? You can enter into a repayment plan. They may or may not require a down payment. Repayment plan is basically I owe 10,000 and I am going to give them a $2,000 down payment. And then I'm going to make eight payments of $1,000 a month or whatever the numbers end up being. So it's monthly payments of the back amounts instead of a lump sum. Um, And then you've got the modification, which is, listen, like I'm not here to, you know, make a big lump sum payment. I don't have that kind of money. I came into hard times back in the day. I'm better now. I have my job back. I have more income. Here's my income. Can you take everything I owe, put it into the loan, wrap it all into one, capitalize it is what it's called, and then make that a new loan, a new principal balance for uh, the borrowers. And what happens is they basically re-amortize a loan. It's basically a new loan with an old debt is the, the basic gist of it. Um, but again, it does add money. So your $50,000 loan that you took out in 2006 and then you stopped paying in 2009 might now be $150,000. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the, the, I guess the, the catch 22, you know, do you fix it early or do you buy your time and then fix it at more expensive amounts later? 
Absolutely. So you said some things um, that I really want to highlight and I really want people to understand. The first thing Aaron reiterated, what I always like to say is you need to make a decision. Are you going to keep your house or are you going to let it go? That decision needs to be made and then you can know how to move forward. That was the first thing. The second thing you said is the longer the foreclosure process takes, the less negotiable the bank becomes, right? And I think homeowners really need to understand this because if a bank's willing to take a loss on your loan for settling early, once the process is extended and delayed and they have a lot more energy, effort, time, legal expenses and everything into the case, that settlement offer does not stay the same. It changes, it changes, it changes. And also market conditions don't stay the same. Uh If they start this process two years ago and the market is, you know, at one point and two years later, now the market is up or down, a lot of different variables change. And so Uh you have to understand that it's better to find a resolution sooner than it is to wait and delay until later. Right. Absolutely. And I think that too, you know, one of the things that I I will say this, there is somewhat of a difference between um, having a bank that is an institutional lender that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of loans and billions of dollars and the smaller or mid-sized note investors that are your guys with, you know, thousands of loans or, you know, tens of loans or hundreds of loans. And I think that what what I see in my practice is... um, you know, everybody's motivations are different. So with Chase, for instance, or Wells Fargo, or any of those big banks, they're going to be able to handle the loss easier than an investor that is, you know, Joe Schmo that's got 15 loans. And so the the knowing who you're talking to and what the plan is, you know, for instance, if I have Chase as my mortgage company, um, I know that I can pretty much potentially modify up to the point of the auction. You know, I can go to them. There, there are deadlines for that. So I would have to say, like, don't wait until the last minute, obviously, because, um, you know, at some point the bank can say, like, you're too late to negotiate any further. And I don't have to review your application. The federal government doesn't require me to. And we are 30 days from sale. And sorry. You know, um, but ultimately, most of the banks, the bigger institutions that can, um, you know, float billions of dollars or millions of dollars are going to be like, yeah, here's the application, just fill it out and we'll figure it out. Right. But then you've got the smaller investors and the midsize investors and the, you know, even the smaller banks in you know, your local areas that are kind of like, wait a minute, like this is my hometown person, or this is like a person just like me. And I, you know, I came to them to make, I made them a insane offer in the beginning of the case and they totally effing ignored me. <laughs> you know, yeah. like so at that point, like and and again, like the other thing you said, like where, you know, Wells Fargo might be able to um uh, like assume, you know, thirty thousand dollars in attorney fees or five or six or ten thousand dollars in attorney fees. But your smaller institutions may not like that might be a bigger deal to them. So it really, you know, matters too who you're handling and you don't want to. And just because somebody, for instance, had like something really good happen with, you know, Mr. Smith, who's their note holder, that doesn't mean that Chase is going to have the same thing and vice versa, you know. Um, So making sure that you that you um, know what your the motivations and the 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 what's the word I'm looking for, kind of the layout of what the mortgage company is and what they do is important to know in the back of your mind what their motivations are too. Because at some point, you're right, like people, I have investors all the time say, listen, dude, I tried to call you 30 freaking times, like over several months, like we were personal friends for 10 years and you're screwing me. So no, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, and now I've it, got man. all this, I've already paid all my attorney, all this money. So there's nothing I can do about that 13 or 20 or $50,000 offer now. Now it's X. So it's really a math game for them. It's, it's numbers and cents. And the other thing too, is every institution is required to determine whether your income meets the amounts of the loan and whether you can afford it. So the more fees get run up, the more interest accrues, the more all of those things happen, the higher that is and the less chances you get approved for a modification or get approved for whatever you're trying to do to, to, to keep your home. Affordability is absolutely a liquidation option. Like, you know, it's always talked about at affordability, but if you're wanting to keep your home, that, that issue of, um, continuing to run things up is going, it could affect you down the road if you're doing that. No, awesome. So Aaron, you know, 
what would you say your favorite part about working with homeowners is? Um, <clears throat> I love to help. So this sounds like super cliche, but I have some elderly people that will call in to like work out their mortgage companies or, you know, work out their issues. And I have all, all kinds of people. Like I have people that are super entitled. I have people that are like, oh my God, I just, you know, things happened and I am so sorry. And I have some people that just don't say anything. Like it just is what it is. Right. Um, but my favorite are the people that the people that call in and want to help themselves and want to know what to do to fix it and are genuine about like fixing it and resolving it quickly and getting it done. Because ultimately for me, uh, you know, a resolution to a case is good for my client. It's good for me, my clients like it. And so, you know, for me to give my client that resolution you know, I get looked at as, Hey, you know, you helped us resolve like 50 cases before they went to trial or 2000 cases, whatever. Um, the point is, is that they look at me as I'm helping them resolve things positively versus taking them to auction. Um, and that's what my clients, my midsize clients and my smaller clients want. They want out of it a ASAP. They want a performing loan. They want to make it work out, or they just want the auction to be done with period. Like whatever the resolution is, come as it may, they just want it over. So time is always of the essence in this situation for um, the banks. And so I try very hard to spend my time working on that. So my favorite stories are, you know, I have this, I actually have this one, like I was a legal assistant at the time as probably I don't know, 2003. Um, I still remember her name. I'm not going to say it on the air, but I remember this little old lady's name and she, every time she called me, she was so sweet and she was so personable and she would always tell me to have a blessed day and always tell me how blessed she was. And she was like, I wanted to die. She was the cutest thing. And I felt so much like her respect for me and her, her ability to understand that I'm a person on the other side of the phone. Right. And that like, I have no dog in this fight. I don't like, I, I'm not doing anything other than what my client asks me to do, right? I will tell my client if I think something's wrong with your with their file. Like if you if you are feel wronged and you come to me and tell me, "Hey, this is what happened." I will investigate it. I will look it up. I will figure it out. I'm not going to do it 15 times for you. Like you're not going to send me 15 notices and me reply to every one of them if you're going to, you know, be that way about it. But I am going to look at your case and make sure that I don't see anything that prevents my client from performing or from, you know, um, taking yeah, taking the d completing the foreclosure. So if there's a problem in my client's case, I want to know early and I want to nip it in the bud because I don't want to go to trial and lose ever. So if I go to trial, I want to win. That's just it. So I think that for me, um, having people like that, that understand that I'm a person on the other side of the phone that are pleasant with me, that are willing to cut me some slack if I like miss an email or miss a phone call and, um, but are willing to come back to the table and talk to me reasonably without chastising me. You know, I get all sorts of things that come into the office, like as far as that's concerned. So, you know, it can be tough sometimes. Like I'm, I am a person, I have a family. I, you know, yes, I work for the creditors, but my goal is always the, the resolution if I can. And I think that, you know, when the bank attorneys are hired, we become like these villains to these homeowners that think that we're just there to take their house. And it's not, that's not the case. Like to us, like, I don't want to, I don't want to sound insensitive about it because it is to on the homeowner side, like it's their livelihood. It is their life. Like they've had this house and they, they are emotionally attached. I'm emotionally attached to my house, you know? So there's all these emotions and these big things. And sometimes they come out at us and it's like, for us, like, we don't even know what your house looks like. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, like I don't want to be insensitive, but it's like to us, it's a, it's a file, it's a job, it's a, it's a. Let's get this done. Whether it is helping this homeowner like fix the problem and and work with the bank, um, or taking the bank's case forward because the, you know the person isn't coming to the table. Either way, my job has to be done. And if we didn't have attorneys handling foreclosures, we wouldn't have banks lending money. We wouldn't mm -hmm. have people being able to afford homes. Like we would have no American dream. Like there's a lot of things that go into um, that at a global level that 
you know, people don't really see in the trees. So, you know, every one of us in our little homes are trees, right? The global level is, is lending has to be done, but people have to pay it back in order to keep that system working. So, and it's, and when we have these crashes, it's because the system's broken. So the goal is always to make the system better through each. So. No, absolutely, Aaron. And I appreciate that, that explanation because I think a lot of people, they're just frustrated. They're mad. I know you've probably been cursed out tons of time with people calling your firm. Um, And so I I get it. I I understand both sides of the equation equation. And sometimes that, that frustration is just misplaced. And it's, it's very difficult relationship, right? Like any relationship, it can be that way. So, you know, my goal for me is, you know, those pleasant people are always like, they just warm my heart. Like I love those stories and the things that I've, the things that I've been able to do to help people like my, my friend that I was referring to, she, I, I worked to the ends of the earth to get her a reinstatement quote as quickly as I could, got it to her, communicated with her, checked on her, like all because she was so much, she stood out so much to me as like all day long, I'm getting yelled at constantly by these people. Cause I was in the call center at this point, right? Like I'm sitting in a call center, borrowers are calling in, they're super pissed off. Sorry, I shouldn't say that, super mad. And you know, <laughs> it's just one of those things. So I think that for me, it was like, oh my God, somebody that, you know, at least respects me as a person. That's all I yeah. want. A hundred percent. And um, it sounds like you're even getting teary eyed as you kind of talk about her. So, <laughs> oh my God, she was so sweet. <laughs> well, well, Aaron, that brings us to like my favorite part of the podcast, which is, you know, our bow tie round, which, you know, I is an opportunity. My favorite thing. <laughs> uh, it's an opportunity for our listeners to tie one on with you. Right. And so the B in the bow tie round stands for the best advice you have for someone in foreclosure. The O stands for one thing you're grateful for. And the W stands for your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. All right. So B, what's your best advice for someone in foreclosure? Again, you know, I've already said it, but I'll reiterate it because I thought about it and I was like, you know what, we're just going to double back on this because it is an important point. Don't waste time. Act soon. Decide what you want to do. And do you want to keep it? Do you want to get rid of it? If you want to keep it, reach out, communicate, communicate, communicate as much as you possibly can communicate. And if you're not getting the answers you want out of the firm, you know, for, and I say that from a reasonable perspective, right? Like make sure they get your application, make sure they have all your docs, make sure they're communicating back and forth with you. Uh, Make sure they give you options if they have any for you, making sure that those communication pieces happen or escalating it appropriately um, if it's not as important. So if you're not getting through to the bank and the bank isn't responding to you, reach out to the attorney. If the attorney isn't responding to you, escalate it up the chain, you know, get your story heard so that you can resolve your issues. Absolutely. The, oh, one thing you are grateful for right now. Listen, I'm extra. And so I have to have two because <laughs> I, of course, I want to shout out to my family because my family is my life and my seven and nine year old and my husband, who's my 43 year old child, 42 year old child. Um, <laughs> but, so the, my family is always the first and foremost, right? Um, and my good health. I think that my other biggest thing that I'm thankful for is my longtime legal assistant turns operation manager, Kelly. Um, who's been with me for 12 years. And, you know, part of the reason that we left the firm that we did and moved out onto our own was to do exactly what we're talking about today. And, you know, even though we're on the bank side is to, to try to do good, you know, to do good as much as we can for those people that are falling through the cracks. And so she has been with me every step of the way. She's my, you know, my ride or die, my left hand, and I would not have anything without her in my life. Like she's absolutely one of my biggest support systems. So that's what I'm thankful for today. Awesome. And Kelly is an amazing and you, of course. person. Hey, no, I, I appreciate it. But no, You're so Kelly sweet. is. I love you so much. So Kelly, Kelly is pretty cool. When I can't find Aaron Quinn, I know I call Kelly and, and Kelly helps me find her. So yeah, I usually um, get a text like answer DJ, you're being a jerk. <laughs> no, okay, I appreciate bye. it. All right. Um, the last thing is your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. Okay. I know there's so many to choose from. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because it's really now, I think Tuesday made it a toss up. So, cause I've got two, but I'm going to go with my OG story because I don't have the ending of this past week's story yet. But um, I had a borrower. So early on in my career, and, and this goes to exactly what I've been talking about, like with people that, you know, sometimes you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. You know, and I had this borrower um, that was 
super litigious. And um, he came into his case pro se. He hired four or five attorneys over the course of the case. The case was delayed many years. Um, it was during the height of the crash. So he was a um, he was a small business owner or, you know, he had like a small, you know, little mobile company. And, um, you know, his house was modest. And I remember reaching out to him initially and just being like, hey, you know, like, what do you want to do with this? Like, how do you want to proceed? I'm happy to, you know, provide the bank an application if you want to talk about loss mitigation. But he had already decided in his mind that he was like burning this house down before we ever saw it, right? He didn't burn, I don't think he burned it down. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, the case was still ongoing about a year and a half ago. Um, and this is a case, it was an 07 case, if that tells you, or January 2008 is when it was filed. Wow. And so I left the firm in 2013 and the case was still there. Um, and it was still there like a couple of years ago. Like I keep getting, so at my personal home, I am getting mail from this person's bankruptcy court. He's listing me as a creditor in his bankruptcy. And then he'll list me as somebody that owes him money. And it's the amount of his house. So <laughs> he has filed bar complaints against me. He has filed notary complaints against my notaries. He has filed bar complaints against my bosses when I had bosses. Um, he has he has sent me demand letters to my house demanding the amount of his home and money. Um, he has So it got to the point with him um, where I wasn't feeling safe because he was just so much more aggressive than literally anybody I've ever dealt with. <laughs> so I decided that like, I, you know, if we were going to, we ended up having to depose him, um, because he just, some of the things that were happening in the case. So I deposed him in the courthouse because I wanted him to go through a metal detector. Um, and I, he set our client's deposition, so I set his deposition and he said, said that he didn't sign the mortgage. So I set the notary's deposition all on the same day um, in the courthouse in a certain room like we had the whole day. So we get there and we had noticed the, the deposition of him first. So the goal or, you know, it, cur like courtesy or professional courtesy in litigation, like if you set your depot and then I set mine and they're on the same day, like you get to go first because you're the one that set the first depot, right? So you ask your questions and then I ask mine. He came in and, you know, was super awkward and, you know, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, if you want to talk settlement, do you want to talk about this? Like, and you could kind of see like he wanted to, but I feel like his ego kind of stepped in and he got in the way and he was like, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. And we're like, okay, you know, that's fine. And then he sits down. I'm like, okay, are, you know, we're going to start with your deposition. He's like, I'm, I'm here by right. You're here by privilege. I get to go first. And I was like, okay, that's not a thing, but fine, whatever. No big deal. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm going to, I'm here to make it easy. Yeah. So he wants to depose our client. He deposes our client. He asks a crap ton of questions. We're probably an hour and a half into the deposition. We're an hour and a half into the day. And he abruptly gets up and is like, oh, I have to use the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I'm like, well, you can leave your stuff. Like you don't have to, like, we're not going to look through your stuff. Like we're professionals. Right. And he's like, no, it's fine. And he takes it. He left. He like literally left, just wow. got up and left. Didn't stay for his subpoena deposition. Didn't stay for the notary's deposition. So we basically wrapped up the deposition with our client, asked our like cross-examination questions and stuff just to, you know, clarify some things. And then worked with the notary, took her deposition. And she was like, I freaking know him personally. I don't know why he's saying this. Like he's <laughs> like, he's messing with my license. And I, you know, I know I've known him for 15 years. And so she was really upset. Um, we tried to compel him to deposition. He wouldn't show up. Uh, so we ended up getting him defaulted for, and his pleading stricken because he would, he refused to comply with discovery requests, refused to sit for his deposition. He was not, um, like the court was constantly yelling at him because he, everything he did was adversarial to everybody around him. And so, and he had this like little group of people that would like sit in the galley of the courthouse and like, they all were like conspiring to like work, you know, to make the bank's lives hell with their mortgages. And it was just this weird, like, we had a lot of pockets of those when the, when the crash happened and that's pretty normal. You know, people kind of step up to the plate and really stand up for themselves or, or you know, perceive what they're doing as standing up for themselves um, when those kinds of things happen. So um, I think he kept that house in foreclosure, I think for at least eight to nine years. 
Um, through his various bankruptcy filings, he got barred from filing bankruptcy again. Um, they had interim stay relief and they finally auctioned the house, uh, I think not too long ago. So I think that was probably my craziest just because it involved like my personal safety, which is always a concern, uh, when you're dealing with anybody that's, uh, you know, you don't know, or that is unpredictable. And when they're starting to kind of show signs above like what the norm is for defense, defensive posture, then it gets a little concerning. So to have somebody mailing things to my personal house and serving me with paperwork personally and, telling me that I owe them debt and like all these other things. It, it was crazy. So that was probably my wow. worst. <laughs> wow. So note to self, do not become a foreclosure attorney. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've taken it off my list. Thank you so much, Aaron, uh, yep. for that help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it got to the point where we were, a lot of us were securing our offices, like with um, like my, one of my bigger firms actually had an armed guard at it because of the amount of stuff that would happen. So we would have to, like, we had to protect the employees and it was, it was nuts there for a bit. Well, no, hundred so. percent. There's a lot of firms in Atlanta who do that exact same thing where, yep. you know, you can't, you can't even, it's, it's like, like you're going into uh, the white house. So yep. it's, it's, it's crazy. Yep. Well, Hey, that wraps another episode of the foreclosure fix podcast i told y'all aaron quinn was bringing the fire and she lived <laughs> up to the hype aaron please do us a favor let our listeners know if they ever need to get in contact with you or your firm where they can find you all at sure thing so um the firm is quinn legal it is located in clearwater florida we handle foreclosures in florida and georgia um we handle massachusetts foreclosures on the creditor side through our sister location um, in Boston. So we also handle things there. So if you have us on one of your cases and, or you have a question about one of our cases, you are welcome to call us myself or my, uh, office number is 727-474-9603. Um, and the email to my office is info at quinlegal.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate Erin Quinn for dropping by the podcast today. Y'all, she is phenomenal and we are so happy to have her. With that, if you found value in today's episode, please do us a favor, like, subscribe, tell a friend, or you can check us out at the foreclosurefixpodcast.com. I'm your host, DJ Lojo. Thank you so much for listening in. God bless you and I love you. Welcome to the family. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.